know I don't say it often, but I believe in miracles, and in my lifetime, I've seen quite a few. I may not be the most religious person in the world, but on several occasions, providence has befriended me. It has stretched out its wings to shelter me, and I still don't know why. To make you understand exactly what I mean, I'll give you a few instances. As an undergraduate, I was once in an accident. The driver and passenger in the front seat both died instantly. That front seat death, it was intended for me, but this thick-set, mean-looking fellow I'd never met before opted to take my place and he wasn't particularly civil about it. The thing was, he and the driver of the taxi my friends and I boarded from Rumokoro to Choba that day bullied and applied emotional blackmail on me to give up the spot even though I was the first person to grab it. The man complained about not wanting to be squeezed in the back seat with total strangers because of his size. He said he didn't want to be laughed at or inconvenienced in any way. And because of that, he offered the driver twice the normal fare. As if that wasn't enough, he proceeded to sweeten his grand gesture with a loaf of sliced bread he brought out from a white nylon bag that had Wilson Bakery. The Wilson Bakery printed on it, and that sealed my fate. After that exchange, I was ordered to join my friends at the back of the tiny hatchback car whose make and model I can no longer recall. But I do recall Kala Joe and Aiba Tonye. How can I forget them? As soon as I joined them in the back seat, they began teasing me for giving up my prime spot in front to a wealthy oppressor. They joked about my poor family background and how I would have been a dropout if it wasn't for the yearly bursary paid by the government of River State to its students in tertiary institutions across the country. That and the partial scholarship awarded to me by Chevron Nigerian Limited for emerging second runner-up in an essay writing competition for indigenous students from all producing countries in the Niger Delta paid for my books and tuition and kept me afloat as a student in the law faculty of River State University. Kala Joe and Aiba Tony laughed hard at how easily I was intimidated by the illiterate driver and obese stranger I should have stood up to. Taken a Haswell, you know try. If not me, I for no move go anywhere for anybody. Guy, you too soft. You too soft. This life no need soft people though. I still remember those words from Kalajo, even though this was many years ago. Anyway, when the driver lost control of the vehicle and we ran into a fuel tanker parked by the side of the road, all three of us in the back seat survived. I without a scratch and my friends with cuts and bruises that weren't severe enough to stop us from continuing to the female hostel of the University of Port Harcourt where my cousin was celebrating her birthday. Another incident I can't forget happened when I was in law school because our landlord's third wife in the Face Me I Face You rented apartment I shared with a friend in Bari was spotted leaving our room one night we were unceremoniously evicted from the property. Our landlord gave us 72 hours to gather all our stuff and find another rental place in the small town. Since our plea fell on deaf ears, we had no choice but to do as we were commanded. My friend, Summer and I, 
moved out on the last day of grace given to us by a septuagenarian landlord. That same night, we moved in temporarily with another friend across the street. Our old place was raised to the ground. Our landlord and his tenants lost everything. Not even a pin was salvaged in the fire. Clothes, documents, pictures, electrical appliances and electronics, everything was lost in the inferno. Until this day, I'm certain we would have been arrested and charged for arson if one of Papa Innocent's younger sons hadn't confessed to starting the fire. The boy had come in late that night. Hungry and drunk, he turned on the stove in the kitchen to make Eba and warm some soup. That was the last thing he claimed to remember when the pungent smell of things burning and all the commotion going on in the compound jolted his senses back to normal and made the alcohol in his system vanish. Those are some of the big ones I remember, but there are many more stories for sure. Like when I moved into this house during my service year and I couldn't get the front door to close. It was getting pretty late and in the remote village in Imo State where I served, a community notorious for being the den of ritual killers. No one went to sleep at night with their entrance door open or their two eyes closed. There was no telling what would become of me or my property by morning if I didn't do something about the door. New to town, I was confused and terrified. While I was still contemplating my next course of action and imagining my parents' reaction to news about my death or kidnap, from nowhere, the previous occupant of the room showed up to pick up something he thought he forgot in the kitchen, which he didn't, which he didn't by the way, and he saved the day. It turned out he had a unique trick for getting the lock to work, which he showed me, and that saved my life, I think. Because I survived that night, immediately after my one-year compulsory service to my fatherland, I went on to work for Grant and Wunche a fast-growing real estate development firm in Port Harcourt, which was celebrating its third year in business that month I joined them. The company was rumored to be owned by the wife of one of the most revered militant leaders in the state, and that, I think, was responsible for the slew of wealthy and influential clientele they served, even though they were relatively nearer in the property market and not, not as organized as their competitors. And just so you know, the rumors about the company's ownership turned out to be true, but I'll tell that story another time. Three months after joining Grant and Wunche, the head of legal and company secretary who was my immediate manager and boss had a heart attack in the office. He died sitting on his mahogany and four leather workstation. Following his passing, the board first appointed me acting head of legal and company secretary because I was the only other lawyer in the firm. By the end of my first year, I was made substantive head of legal and company secretary. So, in a totally unexpected way, Mr. Belemar George's death accelerated my promotion and cemented my position in the organization. Did I mention that the woman who became my wife also came from that miracle? Well, she did. Ibisiki was the only child of the man that died. I didn't notice her during his funeral. But when she, when she and her mother came to the office after the burial to process his death benefit and other things, I knew she was the one. On her wedding day, she asked the official photographer to print the pictures he took in black and white. She said colors will come with time. She said colors will be added to our lives as our marriage took root and grew stronger. 
It was the most romantic thing any woman has said to me since I started dating and I knew my choosing her wasn't a mistake. God blessed our marriage with three girls and prospered us in our jobs. Providence conspired in my favor once again and five years after Ibisiki and I got married, I became Chief Executive Officer of Grant and Muche under circumstances I dare not disclose here because he might get a serving senator and two former ministers of the Federal Republic of Nigeria arrested. Now, about the same time things were happening for me at work and in the community, Ibisiki was also made head of operations in a branch of the commercial bank she worked. Even though she didn't have seniority and she thought the position was going to take her away from me and the girls. Evidently, some of whatever it was nudging me along paths I had no intentions of taking had started to rub off on her too. It was obvious to us and everyone watching our progress that we enjoyed an indescribable grace and for that we were grateful to our maker. Remember, at the start of this story, I mentioned that I wasn't religious or perfect or something to that effect, right? Well, that imperfection began to take a toll on our marriage. Our once happy home became a battlefield of sorts. While we weren't fighting or throwing missiles at each other, it became apparent to Ibisiki and I, and even the children too, that the crack we left unattended had grown into a gulf. At that point, I became conflicted. I knew I should have taken responsibility for the cracks, but the money I was making from the company got to my head and my ego became the size of Lagos. Every time Ibisiki said to me, Tekena, what's happening to us? When did we become two strangers sharing the same bed? When did we become what we said we would never be? We don't talk anymore. We argue about things we used to laugh about. I will brush aside her complaints like it was a ranting of an attention-seeking, over-comfortable nagging wife who didn't want me to be happy. While Ibisiki longed for the old me, I was happy with the man I had become. I was a worldly person in search of adventure and life. My essence craved that spark that came whenever I was with a woman that wanted me for my money and nothing more. I sought women who were happy when I was happy and satisfied, period. I didn't want anyone monitoring my calls, text messages and photo gallery. For peace sake, if I wanted a regulator and policy enforcer, I'd admire the Nigerian Stock Exchange. In all honesty, I wanted the respectability that came with building a family with one woman, but I also wanted the freedom of being able to discreetly explore whenever I felt the itch. That was what led me to Fanta. Fanta was half Cameroonian and half Nigerian, and I found her on Twitter. Whenever she was in the throes of passion, she spoke in French, and that thing they bust my brain. Also, being a blogger, she was available for travel at short notice since she didn't report to anyone and could post her videos whenever she wanted and from wherever she was. Fanta was discreet. Her job was exposing other people's secrets so she knew how to protect hers. Let me say that again. Fanta made a living talking about other people's marriages and relationships. She created content. She was never the content. Whether in Port Harcourt, Lagos or Abuja, to be with Fanta, I lied to an unsuspecting Ibisiki who didn't know that I was already contemplating divorce and that Fanta was my second wind. The only thing stopping me from doing the inevitable was our last daughter, Isosia Amanda. 
I wanted her to celebrate her 10th birthday with her mother and I still married. I owed her that memory and for her sake, I was willing to stay one more year in a marriage I had outgrown. I would stay with Ibisiki, but staying with her for a few more months didn't mean I couldn't propose to Fanta. When I invited Fanta to worry for a weekend getaway, I think she knew I was going to pop the question because we had talked about it a couple of times. The extra attention she gave me and the extra swing in her catwalk told me she knew what was coming and she seemed prepared for it. I was going to give her the ring after dinner, but the call came in at 2.23pm and it changed everything. Daddy, where are you? Please come home. For a nine-year-old, Isosia Amanda was remarkably composed, heroic even. She told me over the phone that her mother slumped and was gasping for breath on the kitchen floor. She said she was the only one in the house and she didn't know what to do or who else to call for help. Her two older sisters were away in boarding school somewhere in Abuja and the two other people in the compound, our maid and the security guard, were nowhere to be found. I don't want you to touch her or even do anything more than what you did just now by calling me. Just leave your mother on the floor the way she is. Isosia Amanda, can you hear me? Yes, daddy. Good. I'm going to call Uncle Solomon now. I pray someone is in their house. If he or anyone else you know from their compound knocks on the gate, please let them in. They will handle the situation until I get there. Do you hear me? Yes, daddy. I will do as you say. I hung up the phone and called my neighbor and friend, Pastor Solomon. Thankfully, he and his wife were home. He asked my daughter to stay in their house with their kids while they drove Ibisiki to the hospital. Unable to stay back in worry when my wife was in distress, I jumped out of the bed and hurriedly put my clothes back on. The proposal can wait for another occasion. Fanta said she understood why I had to leave, but clearly she wasn't happy about my decision and it was written all over her face. I wanted us to go back to Port Harcourt together, but she said she didn't mind hanging out in the hotel by herself for a day or two since the presidential suite was already paid for and the beautiful room was ours for the weekend. I left Fanta in worry and drove back to Port Harcourt alone. I went straight to the hospital. Ibisiki tested positive for COVID-19. She had caught the Omicron variant despite being double vaccinated. Her pregnancy test also came back positive. The rest of what I will tell you, I cannot verify. But I believe it to be the true account of what transpired in Wari after I left Fanta in the hotel that afternoon. Apparently, there was an old flame from her university days who had become a lecturer in the Petroleum Training Institute in the city. She invited him over for drinks, and like they say, things happened. In the morning, he woke up, but she didn't. Fanta died in her sleep. Cardiac arrest or something. You know Nigeria. The rest of the autopsy was never made public because the suspect in question was a nephew to the chief of naval staff. Again, I cannot verify this. What I know to be true though, is that Fanta was destined to die that night and if Ibisiki hadn't chosen that day to fall ill, my life would be over by now and maybe, just maybe, I'll be telling this story from a decorative prison somewhere in Nigeria. But once more, I was fortunate. The luck of Tekena came through for me. As I think about that day, 
I'm thinking that maybe one day my luck will run out. But that day hasn't come. And the moral of this story, if there's one, is that you shouldn't go searching for love in an app when love is waiting for you at home. Hi there, my name is Michael Afenthia and this is Write Out Loud. If you've enjoyed the story you just heard, please do well to like, share and subscribe to this YouTube channel. And I'll see you on the next one.